Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to the Peristyle Podcast on a Wednesday. Today, we're going to talk with our buddy, our friend, Shotgun Spratling. Follow him on Twitter, at SpR. He does recruiting for uscfootball.com. He does team coverage. He does it all. He's all over the stuff. And one of the coolest features he does is the participation chart. We want to talk to him about that today. What happened? What players went in and out for the USC-Utah State game in the Coliseum? If you have any questions for us, we're going to try to answer some of your questions you've been sending in. Podcast at uscfootball.com. That's the email address, or you can call us at 641-715-3900, extension 816-646. Or as always, go to our website, peristylepodcast.com. On the left side of the page, you click over there, and you can leave a voicemail from your computer or your device, any mobile devices. Uh, also on iTunes, you can subscribe. You can give us a rating. Uh, tell us what you think about the show. iTunes.com slash Peristyle Podcast. We're also on Google Play, Audio Boom, uh, Stitcher Radio, lots of places you can consume the podcast. So hope you guys have been doing that. Tell your friends or USC fans, tell about the podcast. And Shotgun, you're a popular guest now. We, we haven't had you on a whole lot of podcasts, but we have you on. People seem to enjoy it. So thanks for coming on again. Well, I'm glad that uh, the people enjoy my presence. So we're trying. You know, uh, I think maybe they get bored of hearing me or Dan or coach. So we try to mix <laughs> things up. Uh, some people like my solo ones. I got an email today like, we love your solo ones. I'm like, all right. Yeah, we're trying. I did, I think, six podcasts last week after the uh, Alabama aftermath, including one in the Dallas airport. But uh, yeah, it seemed like everybody uh, w- wanted to know what was going wrong. And the answer was everything. <laughs> it was. There was so much going wrong, but a lot went right. Uh, yes, it's Utah State. But I thought they were a pretty decent team. And I think it's something that USC needed to do. They had to bounce back. Even like a 28-14 win, fans would be kind of like, eh. But 45-7, that's that's a convincing win over, you know, a decent program. Looks like things are at least are in the right direction. Everyone's kind of holding off judgment, though, until after the Stanford game. Uh, but at least it seems like they're going the right way. Yeah, I mean, definitely the the Utah State game, the the defense's ability to shut down their rushing attack, which, you know, had racked up a ton of yards and will rack up a ton of yards the rest of the season um, with Devontae Mays in the backfield, who I think had less than 10 yards maybe. I think he was like, you know, six carries or eight carries for, you know, 10, 20 yards at most. Um, And then he actually ended up getting an ankle injury, I believe it was, in, in the third quarter and was done for the day. But just completely shut down that attack. And, you know, that showed that, you know, they can game plan and take away a team's best option. And that's kind of what uh, Clancy Pendergrass is best at. And, you know, if you don't have those busted coverages against Alabama, maybe that, you know, we see that a little bit more in that first game. Uh, but, you know, I was really impressed by the way the defense did that. And the offense, you know, on first viewing, watching the game from the sideline, I was like, wow, this, the offensive line is still not playing uh, well at all. You know, a lot of ton, a lot of missed assignments and stuff like that. But then once I, you know, went back, looked at the tape a couple times, you know, the offensive line wasn't as bad as I thought it was. Uh, they still weren't good or great. Uh, they were okay. Um, you know, and the biggest issue you saw in the Alabama game, you saw that they were getting beat physically 
and mentally. You know, there were a lot of blown assignments, guys coming free, and then they were also just getting ragdolled a couple times by you know <laughs> some of those big five-star Alabama defense linemen that you know are going to be in the NFL in a couple years. Um, you didn't see the physical beats this week against Utah State, and maybe that's just the the difference in playing a you know the number one team in the country versus a a uh, group of five team in Utah State, and maybe we'll see and learn uh, where exactly they stand this week when they play Stanford uh, as far as physically. But they cleaned up all the physical errors, but they st- there still were some mental errors. You know, there still were some guys coming free, and, and it's and it's all communication. A lot of times it's it's the pre-snap reads. I was talking with Vianney Telemavio yesterday. He said a lot of times it's the stuff before the snap. It's them not recognizing something or everyone not being on the same page. And that's kind of been the biggest issue. We'll see if they clean that up more and more as the season goes along. If they do, then you say, hey, look, there is some coaching. They're actually advancing each week. And uh, that's what you hope to see this week against Stanford as well, that they clean up some of those because Stanford is going to do some stunts, some twists, some different things with that defensive line and going to bring some blitzes to challenge that offensive line because of the issues that they have had. Well, I want to talk about the uh, the, the chart, the uh, participation chart. I just want to let people know our sponsor for the the show today is MyBookie.net. We're going to talk tell you a little bit more about them later on the show. Uh, but check it out, MyBookie.net. You can use promo code trojans and be entered into their million dollar prize pool basically if you want to do some some betting online for free it's just play money so i i I started with my 500 bucks i'm down a little under 400 so i didn't do so well last week so i got to try to build that back up this week but i'll i'll try to do a little bit better but we'll tell you more about mybookie.net a little bit later on the show uh so we wanted to talk about this chart um i don't know if it's well i guess it's a chart but it's you kind of break down every single player and how many um you know, plays they had and, you know, if it was on offense, defense, special teams, it's a really good, uh, reference and to show you who's going in, who's going out, who's playing the most. Uh, you don't, a lot of times you don't notice guys are on special teams a lot too. Um, Zach Banner was the uh, winner this week, I guess you could say <laughs> 80 total snaps and a couple of players only had two snaps, including the punter, which you pointed out. That's probably a good thing. Um, any kind of interesting notes, I guess, for people that want to check this out. It's the uh, USC-Utah State participation chart notes up on uscfootball.com right now. Yeah, I mean, this actually came about last year because uh, the way Wilcox was trying to – there were seven people in and out, and, and, you know, they talked a lot about in camp how they want to have – you know, they moved the offense linemen around everywhere. They wanted to have people that could do different things. They were going to sub in and out. So I was like, well, let's see if there actually are subbing in and out. So I've just continued it on this year. And I think it's really interesting to see, you know, how many plays each person comes in. You know, when are guys coming in and out? Like, do you think you would expect that Clancy Pendergrass, you know, uh, two years or three years ago when he was here, you know, he didn't have much depth. So he didn't use many players. Well, we've come to find out that might be more than the depth issue that it was three years ago. It might just be that he has an NFL mentality where, you know, it, your starter is going to play and they're going to play the entire time until you decide that you need to, you know, put it in subs for a blowout because that's pretty much what he's done so far in the first two games. The starters have played, um, you know, probably if you take away the last two series of both two games, they probably played 90% of the snaps. If you include, uh, Leon McQuay in that mix because, you know, they, they're basically playing 12 guys, uh, with three down linemen. And one of them subbing in in and out with uh, with Leon McQuay when they go to nickel. Uh, besides that, you know they haven't done much subbing uh, on the defensive side of the ball. We saw Jonathan Lockett for one drive 
right after Adoree Jackson had the 77-yard punt return. Uh, he took over that spot. And then we've seen a Jenna Harris sub in uh, occasionally after punts for Iman Marshall, who's on the punt coverage team. That's really about it. We've seen a little bit with the defensive line. You saw uh, Malik Dorton and Rasheem Green are, were the two starters, the defensive ends. They played a, a good amount. They subbed in and out of, of who was going to be the guy to come out uh, when they played the nickel coverages. And then we saw a little bit more of Josh Fatu this week. Um, and maybe that was a little bit of a trial period because they switched Khalil, I mean, Khalil uh, Rogers over to the offensive side to, to be the backup center for now. Um, after losing to Lobanon last week. So with him out this past weekend against Utah State, maybe they threw Josh Fatu in there and said, hey, let's see if he can be our backup, if he's good enough to be there, or if we need to leave Khalil on this side. So there were some interesting things on the, on the defensive side. Yeah, for sure. It's, uh, and that's one difference where, you know, talking to Clancy Pendergast last week, he talked about, you know, that's, it's more of an NFL mentality where you're not substituting a whole lot. Um, we thought in 2013 it was mostly because they didn't have the depth, but it's really just that's that's his philosophy. Yeah, I mean, you've seen guys. Every, there's experienced guys like Quentin Powell. He got three snaps in the in the game. That was the last three uh, defensive plays of the game. Uh, Elijah Tucker, who you know moved into the starting lineup last year. Same thing with him. He just got that last drive. They had Cameron Smith and Michael Hutchings, the inside linebackers, in the game until the final three plays that Utah State ran. I mean, you know, you figure in the fourth quarter when you're up. 38 to 7 and hey you know we can you know put some guys in there get them a little experience and then you also see some experienced guys not getting any playing time like Jabari Ruffin you know he you know he had to sit out the first half uh and he's gonna play special teams he's you know he's like the he's the sum of a nuku of the team this year as far as the special teams maven um but you expected you know in that final drive you're gonna put somebody in and you know maybe get him some work at, at the sand position behind you chin no not at all Instead, it was uh, the freshman, Jordan Iacefa, who's been playing some special teams as well, but he got some snaps, his first defensive snaps. Him and Connor Murphy both got their first defensive snaps uh, in this game uh, of their careers. And we also saw a couple of um, debuts for, for some guys. We saw um, Keyshawn Young, Pai Young, actually getting on the kickoffs. So he's actually you know is playing now. Uh, he's on the kickoff coverage unit. And then Clayton Johnson and Cole Smith uh, made their debuts on the offensive line on the, the final couple drives for, for the offense. Okay, so I don't even want to know how you do this, but uh, like you were saying there with Dory Jackson, his, the, the, when he's on the field, the opponent's yards per play is the lowest of any player on the field. Um, so you're tracking all that stuff for every play? I mean, that's kind of crazy. <laughs> yeah, track, tracking how many, you know, each play as, as I enter – you know who's on the field. I, I put the yardage for each of the plays on there, and then at the end, I can calculate, you know, what the kind of the yards per play are. Um, and then someone asked in the uh, in the message board. They said, you know, what what about? It? And this week, I did something a little bit different. I you know, I charted when USC was under center, when they were in the shotgun, and when they were in the pistol. And they were in the shotgun. I believe it was 57 plays out of the 81 plays and then the pistol 17 and they were only under center seven times. And that was mainly on uh, some third and shorts or in the goal line. And that was the only time that we actually saw them use the fullback this week as well. Uh, you know, one play per quarter um, in those situations. But someone asked, you know, well, how are we running a ball uh, in these three different sets? So I looked that up last night and, you know, determined that they actually ran the ball really well out of the, um, out of the shotgun formation. You know, they still ran the ball in, in that formation for over five yards while, you know, under in the pistol it was only 3.77 yards. 
and then under center was 3.4. Now under center, a lot of times you're just trying to get that one yard, that two yard in, in that third down situation or on the goal line. So sometimes that can be skewed, especially as a small sample size with only five plays. But I did think it was really interesting to see that they were they were able to run the ball for five yards per carry per running play uh, out of the shotgun formation. So, um, you know, that shows that, you know, while they're not the quote unquote power running team that, you know, that Clay Helton has said that they were going to be, they have been able to have some success out of that shotgun formation, at least in this, uh, this previous game. So I thought that was interesting to kind of check those numbers as well. The, uh, the tight end triangle notes, um, all three tight ends, Tyler Petit, Daniel, Daniel, Mentor Bebe and Taylor McNamara all played around you in the 30, uh, snap range. I talked to Daniel and Mentor Bebe. I'll have a story up this week. Um, I talked to him yesterday and, uh, you know, it was his first career catch. He, you know, he, he had to, he transferred from Florida and, uh, you know, sat out last year, but he was pretty excited to get in there. Uh, haven't seen a lot of the down the field kind of stuff that we saw in the spring from the tight ends. Maybe that's still to come. Um, but they, it seems like they split up all the, the reps between those tight ends fairly evenly. Yeah. And you wonder if that is because after seeing the first week against Alabama and it was pretty much all Taylor McNamara with, you know, a, a couple of plays here and there for Petit and Amorta Bebe, you, you wonder if maybe that was because of Taylor McNamara's ankle injury that he suffered last week during practice. Um, or if that is a conscious decision that they made after looking at the tape. I mean, he played. Uh, less than half the snaps, offensive snaps that he did last week or in the Alabama week. He went from 47 offensive snaps to 23, while Petit went from 8 to 38 and, and Mortabebe went from 4 to 31. So is that a conscious effort or was it a little bit of injury? Was it maybe a little bit of combination? You know, I thought that they, they ran a lot of two uh, tight end sets early in the game and then, you know, they, they went back to that later in the game. Um, so we saw some of those guys in together, but some of the times it was actually Petit and Amorta Bebe together rather than McNamara being there at all. So, uh, you know, I, I want to see how they progress and how that changes this week, uh, especially against Stanford. You know, a lot of times you want that veteran tight end in there to get that, you know, be able to get that block or whatever it may be. Uh, they didn't throw a lot to the tight ends, but I think part of that uh, was that the way that Utah State was defending. They kind of bunched everybody in the middle and kind of dared the quarterbacks to throw it to the edges and, I think that's part of the reason why Darius Rogers had such a good game, you know, with some of those screens and different things. But a lot of the the crossing routes and different things that USC likes to do to try to free up Juju Smith-Schuster or, or some of the other receivers, those weren't necessarily there because of the kind of the soft zone that, that Utah State was playing. But against uh, against Stanford, maybe we'll see a little bit more. You know, that was something they they showed a lot in the spring, and, and maybe they aren't showing it in the first couple games. Uh, maybe there was an opportunity for it against Alabama, and you know they didn't feel that. The, their tight ends could get open against the, those very good linebackers that Alabama has. Not real sure the the, the reasoning behind it, but I, in the offense, I think we'll see more of it as the season progresses. Formation-wise, um, it was interesting. 81 offensive plays. Only 17 of them had uh, two wide receivers. Um, everything else had three. Um, so, it, you know, you talk about the power run kind of team. There were four plays that, that didn't, that had two backs in there and everything else was, you know, three receivers and, uh, one tight end. Most of it was three receivers, one tight end and one running back. That was 57 of the 81 plays, but only 17 of them where you just had two receivers in there. I, I don't know if, if that ratio makes sense to you or, or what do you think about it? 
Yeah, I mean, it, it's similar. Uh, the first game, you know, the, the, that's their primary formation is the three receiver with one tight end. You know, they, they love the receivers that they have. Um, and I think they have a lot more confidence in, say, Stephen Mitchell or Deontay Burnett to do a job than they do uh, walk on turn scholar walk on linebacker turn scholarship fullback Ruben Peters. So I think that's why you see you haven't seen much fullback, and maybe that'll progress as Ruben Peters gets more and more comfortable in that position. And you know the, the two tight. I think if they're going to go with a more blocking uh, oriented uh, formation, it's going to be with that two tight end set, two receiver, two tight ends, and a single back. And we saw that a little bit more in this game. That was their second most used formation. Um, but I think part of the reason you're seeing a lot of the three receiver sets is because of, of the confidence they have in that receiver group. And they used you know some guys more this week. Uh, the first game, it was mostly we're going to play these guys throughout the entire drive. And part of that was because the drives were very short against Alabama. So they're going to play the entire drive. Whereas this week we saw some guys coming in, coming out. Uh, like Naquan Hampton, he played in all four quarters this week rather than just subbing in late or uh, in, in, for one drive or here or there, what it may be. Um, and then Jalen Green, we saw him in all four quarters as well and doing some different things, whether it was from that bandit formation or actually catching the football. I mean, I, I think his athleticism is so good that the more you can get him on the field and the different things that he can do, I think he's just a good weapon to have out there. And, you know, Stephen Mitchell caught everything. Darius Rogers had a b- big game. Um, Deontay Burnett with his first career touchdown. So there's just a lot of weapons they have to use. And I think they, they trust those guys a little bit more than maybe the, the backup tight ends or the fullback or, or some of the other um, weapons that they may be able to utilize if they do some different formations. All right. Um, yeah, the charts are great. And he break, you break it down by this game with, you know, with special teams, without special teams, you know, putting the two, uh, two games together. So you can check out and see, you got a favorite player you can see how many uh plays they're getting so lots of great uh data in there you should definitely go check it out you're a usc football fan which you are if you're here you should check that out and see you can see for the whole season how many snaps these guys are playing and shotgun will keep tracking that uh throughout the year so great stuff with that thanks thanks for that one shotgun yeah no problem i mean the one of the curious things is a dory jackson only 114 plays so far the season that includes special teams offense defense whereas you know, I, I think he got close to to ninety. I think he got over ninety as the equivalent, of maybe fifteen twenty snaps off uh, of what he did in a couple of games last year in two games so far this season. Yeah, just not playing a lot of offense. So that is going, and I think the offense had more snaps than the defense, right? So mm-hmm. um, if it's a, it's a, and I don't think you're going to get a whole lot of snaps in the Stanford game either because it's probably going to be a slower fewer kind of snap sort of game for both sides of the ball, but we'll see. Yeah, we'll see how much they try to use tempo in this game. I mean, that's something that they've talked about, and they haven't gone to huddle at all. It's the no huddle. It's kind of the slow huddle uh, tempo. Um, They get to the line and look over the sideline for a while rather than going really quick. Um, But maybe they switch that up against Stanford, um, depending on how well the offense is moving, because Stanford, you know, they're going to try to eat up the clock as much as possible and, and keep USC's defense on on the field as long as they can. Well, let's get to some questions, uh, Shotgun. And, you know, kind of the big news uh, this week, we heard from Clay Hilton on Monday saying that uh, Don Hill and Osa Messina would be uh, suspended from all team activities. So they were practicing. Uh, they're not around. We know Osa Messina is actually 
not in school anymore, so he's been kicked out of school. I think was it was an LA Times report for that one, and I'm not sure about Don Hill. What was the the latest there? Yeah, I saw that uh, um, Zach Helfand does a really good job at the LA Times. Uh, you know, he uh, was able to talk to the attorney, and the attorney said that that Osa is actually back in Utah now, and you know that he had been kicked. According to the attorney, he had been kicked out of school last Friday. He had to move all his stuff out of his apartment by 6 p.m. on Monday. So, you know, his status was completely changed over the weekend. Um, and, you know, we haven't really had much of an update on Hill. And, and granted, that's because all the information on Messina is coming from Messina's attorney. Um, so not exactly what the status, sure what the status is on Hill, besides that he is suspended from team activities. We haven't heard if he is or isn't in class. I believe he is still in class at, at this moment, but that's just a complete guess um, from the information that we've heard so far. Well, we had a question from Daniel on this. He said, um, no charges have been filed. So why I'm trying to do the kind of the tone of his email. So why are there being, why are they being suspended and treated as guilty? Unless there is something unknown that is wrong, innocent until proven guilty, right? Especially if no charges have been filed. So tell me, uh, can anyone just accuse a USC athlete of a crime and be suspended before charges are filed? What are your thoughts from Daniel? Um, I believe I, I saw somewhere that it said there was new information is why this came out. However, I don't quote me on that one. I'm not sure. I mean, this is in, in a similar fashion to the Bryce Dixon. It's a Title IX thing. If there is a sexual assault um, charge pending, then you know, they can suspend the student from going to class. And then you know Bryce Dixon's lawyers fought that and got him you know reinstated for classes and stuff, basically on the premise that. Hey, there's no due process. There, you know, you guys can't just decide to kick someone out because of what one person says without there being, you know, an actual investigation and trial and whatnot. Um, and I believe Messina's attorney said that they they plan to, you know, appeal this as well and, and fight it in the same uh, regard. So, you know, I think it, it's becoming more and more of an issue across the country in that regard, as far as the Title IX, where you know, if an accus- accusation is made then the schools are trying to be really um, uh, sort of conservative on it and, and try to, you know, just put the person out off campus, you know, keep them out of classes, whatever, until it's resolved and then determine their status. But, you know, that's being challenged by a lot of lawyers. So this is something that might you know come out in the next five years or something like that to become a, a big court case in, in some regard. Um because we've seen some of these cases get overturned and then the students like, Hey, I just missed a year of my schooling and uh, I've had to you know, put my life on pause because of what one person said and it was found to not be true or whatever it is. So I think you're going to continue to see things like that. And you know, it, it, I was thinking on, on my drive today, I'm like, what if someone was very vengeful um, and had a vendetta out for someone and they really wanted to be the valedictorian? So, and it's a male and a female and one person, they, uh, there's one person in front of them and they accuse that person. Well, that person has to, you know, the school kicks them out for six months or whatever it is to figure it out while they're graduating. This person gets to move up from, uh, from second to first. And and then all of a sudden, you know, then they let the person back in just on this false claim. You know, what if somebody is is eventual does something like that? Or, you know, there's a a million different possibilities. Um, It's really interesting to me to see how this all plays out. But, you know, I, I think you have to give them the due process, but but we'll see how USC's situation works out with Messina. Yeah, it's a, I mean, it's a hot-button thing because, you know, there was like the Duke lacrosse stuff and all that. Mm-hmm. You know, there's there some 
basketball stuff, you know, there. Title IX, I mean, you could lose federal funding from your school if you don't comply. There's a whole bunch of stuff going on there. But in this case, Daniel, you're writing in, I don't think this, I mean, obviously there's, these are allegations. There's a lot of evidence and there is a search warrant that's very detailed and, um, describes some really despicable behavior. And it's, uh, there's social media like videos that have been sent. So I think, I, I don't think this, if, if this woman just wanted to make up the story, I mean, I think there's a lot of evidence to where there might be some question of how willing a participant or something, you know, just kind of reading into a little bit. There could be some question of that, but a lot of stuff what they did, um, if she was a willing participant or not, is pretty reprehensible. And I think that's what they're looking at where it's not like, yeah, it looks like these guys are just being railroaded. It looks like, wow, they, they did some pretty stupid stuff. And so. It's not about an innocent until proven guilty thing. If you're going to be, as you're talking about being the privilege of playing on the college football team, they can look at it. The university looks at it its own way and the football team and Clay Helton are, are going along with what the university's decision are. But if Clay Helton was like, I, you guys put yourself in horrible situations. I don't care what this is. You're off the team. He would have the right to do that as well. So that's kind of like the, the feeling I get on this, but I, I don't know. Did you get to read the whole? Search warrant shotgun. I mean, it was pretty. I didn't get to read the whole thing, but the stuff I read, it was pretty damning. Yeah, I just read the you know the bad parts that were you know picked and picked and pulled. I haven't read the the full search warrant, but but it, drug use in there. There, uh, you know, a lot of um, alcohol, which of course is not illegal, but when you combine that with the drugs, it does not make a good combination. Um, and like you said, Clay and Helton could be like, Hey, look, you guys put yourselves in a bad situation. We're not going to deal with this. Um, we're going to turn you over to the university. And they decided that, you know, they didn't like the actions, didn't think the actions were uh, a becoming of a, you know, a Trojan football player and decided that that they wanted to part ways in that regard. So, you know, that could be completely part of it. You know, that's part of the, the whole, you know, it being behind closed doors. We don't know the exact, um, details of why, each situ- each step of the situation has taken place. Yeah. So, well, but I think this is going to take a while. Um, and, you know, it could be some legal battles and stuff like that. So a little, little crazy, but we'll, we'll keep you up to date on what we hear and what we know. All right. Uh, Robert Newport beach says, uh, have, uh, have you guys noticed any sense of urgency or any difference in game preparation for Stanford this week to put it more succinctly, have you guys noticed if Coach Helton has lit a fire under the asses of the offensive coaching staff? Thanks for all the hard work and fight on, Robert Newport Beach. I'll be honest, I haven't seen Clay Helton pulling a Nick Saban at the end of the Western Kentucky game. I don't know if you caught that one, but uh, what he then somebody as they asked him in the post game, uh, why were you arguing with uh, Lane Kiffin on the sideline? He said, "Oh, that wasn't arguing. That was an ass chewing." And uh, you know, he just went off on them. And granted, the score was like thirty-eight to three with like. 45 seconds left or something like that. But he, uh, he went off on, on um, Lane Kiffin on the sideline. Um, I have not seen Clay do that. Hey, maybe he's doing that behind closed doors. We did see it was a very uh, good practice yesterday. A lot of uh, not necessarily intensity like we had last week with, with uh, Juju getting to skirmishes or anything like that, but very um, brisk practice in, in terms of the players were, were very active and, and um, you could tell the energy level was up, and that's something we noticed last Wednesday as well after the, the juju practice that you know there was a lot of energy, a lot of in- intensity in the practice, and that's what they have to have. 
you know, I the first week against Alabama the, or the practice week leading up to it, but I was like, this team's going to get beat. They might get blown out because they were just – it was just blah. The, the practice, was, there was no intensity. The, the environment was not like, hey, we're going to play the number one team. It was like, hey, we got Arkansas State this week. And then I was still been like, I don't know about this team against Arkansas State <laughs> because of the way they're practicing. Uh, I was like, you know, I would expect USC would win. But I'm like, ah, you know, I don't have a great feeling about this. But, you know, we've seen – the last, um, I didn't get to see last Thursday to see if it continued into that, but the Wednesday practice last week and the practice yesterday, definitely, you know, a lot of energy and intensity, which is, uh, I think, a great thing. And I think this team has taken some strides from that first week, week licking their wounds to that second week. Uh, I said last week, I thought that the Utah State game would be very telling of, of the season. I think it's a good step. Now I'm going to say the same thing. About this week, I think this is an ultimate determination of how the season is going to go. If they play well against Stanford, even if they lose, I think this team has the potential to continue getting better. If they get blown out or something, then I'm going to go ahead and go to the sideline and grab one of the towels for them and throw it in because I, I don't think that they're going to rebound if they get blown out by Stanford. Uh, I agree with you, Shotgun. And uh, Bill in Plano, Texas, he wanted to know about practice intensity, so I think Shotgun just answered that as well. It's a, Dan Weber was saying the same thing yesterday. He really felt that the last couple Tuesday practices weren't great, the full pad practices, but he liked what he saw uh, yesterday. We'll have to kind of see um, how they perform up at Stanford, up on the farm. We had a lot of questions for Dan yesterday, Shotgun, about the quarterback situation, and we have another one. I'll, I'll let you weigh in. This is, uh, he said, in your opinion, which quarterbacks played better out there? They both threw two touchdown passes, but Max had more time in the game and Sam did, and Sam seemed to be more comfortable with everything and seemed like he made uh, more plays than Max. Also, uh, on the defense, how do you think the defense is looking after two games in the books for the season? Thanks for all you do in keeping us USC fans informed. Sergeant Rodney Strong, uh, U.S. Army in Fort Lewis, Washington. Uh, I think that the quarterbacks were pretty even in their play. Um, even given that Max had, had more plays, I think he was a little bit ahead. I, I don't buy into the what Sam Darnold did as much as some other people. Um, there were some throws that he made that were pretty poor throws. Uh, that that's, You know, one of them, the Jalen Green completion, I couldn't tell you if it was a great throw or, or a, it was a poor decision to make the throw. But he had a defender right behind him, a defender in front of him, and he made a great throw to throw it where only Jalen Green could, could catch it. And he went up and leaped over a defender and got it. Now, I'm like, is, is that – did he – purposely mean to put it exactly right there and that's just a tremendous play from him or should he have hit the little shorter receiver on the same side and it was a guaranteed play um, I think that that's the difference between Sam and Max I think Sam is the guy that's going to you know take some more risks he's going to fire the ball that the throw that he made to Juju was a great throw perfect timing on it and uh you know Dan Weber was talking about it yesterday he thought the most interesting thing from that was Sam said that, you know, he didn't actually get to take that rep in practice, but he did get to, you know, he saw Max do it and he just visual, visualized it and was able to complete it after that. I, I think Sam's going to give you a different dynamic as far as the running. However, I think he's going to, you know, have more turnovers if he had the exact same amount of plays as Max, even though Max is the one that had the interception yet, uh, against Utah State. You know, I think there's some things, and, it, and I think Sam Darnold's only going to continue to progress to get better. Does Max Brown do the same thing? Uh, if he doesn't, then maybe by midseason you see Sam Darnold leap over Max Brown. But I think they both can progress with more reps. 
And, and I think, you know, the fact that you can put both of them in there and, and T Martin talked about how they both can run the offense. It's not just that Sam's going in there to, to Tim Tebow at uh, his freshman year where he's just running the goal line stuff and, you know, he's more than likely going to carry the ball every once in a while, do the pop pass or whatever it may be. Um, you know, he can actually run the offense. I was, it was curious to me that, with how much you want Max Brown to continue to progress, that they didn't give him a, uh, maybe one more drive in the fourth quarter and instead went to Sam Darnold. And, you know, because Max Brown has not got a ton of reps in college. So every rep is, is just going to help him. So, but the fact that they went to Sam Darnold to start that fourth quarter, that maybe that's telling that, you know, they want to try to get him to progress more and more each week. And, you know, maybe we'll see down the, down the line if, if there's a switch or something like that. We have uh, Curtis who wrote in and he said, if we put a Dory on Stanford's Mr. Everything, um, I think he's talking about number five, <laughs> it will limit his catches <laughs> and the, and the five two would be tough against the run. Too many wide receivers on offense in every play. No way to run block. Is the ex wide receiver coach trying to keep his wide receivers happy? What do you guys think? Okay. So I'm sorry. That was kind of two things there. One, he wants to put a Dory Jackson, uh, on Stanford's quote unquote Mr. Everything. And two, um, he doesn't, he, about your chart, he thinks there's too many wide receivers in on every play. Well, I think we kind of went over that, you know, why they're using the three wide receiver sets a little bit earlier, you know, and the fact that they probably have more trust in those guys. As to Adore covering Christian McCaffrey, the problem is with McCaffrey being a running back, are you going to line Adore up behind the defensive line every time he goes in the backfield? I mean, and it's kind of hard because they're going to, they do a lot of, the one thing that Stanford does really well with McCaffrey is they move him around a lot and, you know, they may run the same plays or whatever, but they do it out of 42 different formations or whatever it may be, uh, and different looks of the same play. So, you know, if he starts in the backfield, you know, and he motions out, is the door, they're going to try to run over and get him then. I mean, I just don't think it's, it's a feasible thing to do, um, to have a cornerback kind of shadow a running back. Now, if McCaffrey was in the slot a lot, uh, maybe you could try to do it then. Um, but I just don't think it, it's it's a plausible thing in a defensive formation to kind of do that. Uh, I agree with you there. Um, and as far as the yeah the running that it's the running plays that's uh I guess that's a common question that we've been getting. Jay and Ukaipa wrote in. He said we still look lackluster running the ball. Not really a question. That's all. He, <laughs> that's all he wrote in. <laughs> I don't know if Jay, if you Jay, do you know who the leading rusher for USC is? I don't know if you know Shotgun. The leading rusher for the season, or yeah. um, Cedric Ware. It is, yeah. I mean, I'm, he's been the the most productive. I mean, as far as when he's on the field, they gain the most yards as far as yards per play. That didn't always runs uh, for the running back, but both games he's uh, you know been the guy that has led the group. Um, he had. When he was in the game, the the offense gained five point seven yards per play this this week compared to four point nine and four point three for the other two backs. So, um, you know, he runs the ball tough, and you know, part of it is he gets some. Of, he's got a couple of ten to twelve yard runs later in the games that that just helped. He did that a little bit late in the game, um, but you know, he is a great compliment to those other two guys. I think even though he's not the big bruising back, he he still runs like that guy. And that's something that has helped out the offense line because they had, I believe it was five or six plays. Um, I can look it up in a, in a minute um, where the running back was hit in the backfield um, before they got to the line of scrimmage. So those are plays where the offense line is just not doing their job. 
And a lot of those, again, I mentioned it earlier, were communication issues where a guy came free or, you know, they, they didn't combo block well or whatever it may be, or they combo block too slow and didn't realize that a linebacker was going to be coming up or something like that. Um, so the one thing that, that Ware can do is maybe break one of those tackles in the backfield and go. And, you know, Justin Davis and Ronald Jones can also make guys miss. They just do it in a little bit different way. And a lot of times it helps when they get a couple steps and can create an angle and then cut back or, you know, make a juke move or whatever it is, which isn't always the case when there's a guy already in the backfield. So I think they're best when they're getting to the line of scrimmage uh, and then being able to make a guy miss rather than trying to do it in the backfield. But the, the thing is, if you give those guys a hole, 22, 25, or 28, or even you put Dominic Davis in there, we see that guy can get around, especially when he gets lost in the mix behind some of those big bodies. I mean, you got five foot nothing Dominic Davis and six foot nine Zach Banner. I mean, they're trying to reach around Zach's legs to, to grab Dominic Davis. I, I think any of those guys, you give them a, enough of a hole, they're going to get five yards off the bat, and then they're probably going to break it to, to double digits. Um, because they're going to make that one guy miss after they're you know onto that second line of defense. I think that's just a big key. And when we we've seen when they create a hole, hey, Jalen Green got a hole. What happened? Twenty yard run. Give them a little hole. Those guys will do some work. Shotgun, I want to get your thoughts on this Stanford game for the last point. And I want, but I want before at first, I want to let people know uh, mybookie.net, which we talked about before, sponsoring the show. So it's football season, which we love. We love football season. You want to get a little action on the game. This is a fun way to do it, and it's free. Um, I've been trying it. It's cool. I'm going to hopefully bounce back this week, like I said earlier. Uh, it's really exciting. If You want, to, you can do real Vegas odds. Uh, there's prop bets on every football game. Uh, so if the, even if the game's kicked off, you can get in there, and they have live odds during the game. So if you want to make a halftime bet or anything like that, you can do that. But if you go online, uh, type mybookie.net. You can sign up today. The promo code is Trojans for the Peristyle Podcast. And then you'll be entered into their million-dollar prize pool. So that should be cool. You can call them, too, at 844-722-2387. So they got thousands of players playing online. Uh, it's mybookie.net. It's really cool. So check it out. And uh, this week, so I got a bounce-back shotgun. This week, USC's my, uh, USC is plus 6.5. So Stanford minus 6.5. Um, I know you're not a big sports betting guy, but, man, that's – I don't know. What do you, it's, it's kind of close. I, I could. I kind of think Stanford by a touchdown in this one, so that would be under. You know, they would cover the point spread. But I'm not. Sure. What do you think about it? I mean, if you look at the the recent history of USC Stanford. Almost all those games are very close, come down the wire. But then you have last year that kind of throws that off. Yeah. Um, where Christian McCaffrey, when he gets loose, all of a sudden the game completely spins, and, and USC goes from in the Pac-12 championship goes from being right in the game to all of a sudden this is a blowout real quick with a couple of Christian McCaffrey plays. So, you know, that I could tell you better after today. I'll, I'll give go with that one uh, after seeing how they uh, respond today. Um, but I would probably take uh, the, the points on that one. I mean, I would probably take USC and, yeah, take the points on that and uh, see how close this I think we. I think you cut out there, Shaka. What was the last part? I said that you got to take the points and take USC in this one because of how many close games are there between these two teams, especially up at the farm. Yeah, now we're we're kind of losing your signal a little bit there, but um, well, I want hopefully it sticks around because we want to just get your kind of thoughts on this game. The uh, maybe there's a prop bet for Christian McCaffrey how many yards he gets too because he had what he had 480 last year. <laughs> USC that was crazy. <laughs> no, I not. think. 
You're breaking up on me a little bit now. I think a, a, a big part of, of uh, Christian McCaffrey's yards last year came on returns and stuff. So you got to eliminate those. And you know, we talked a little bit about it yesterday at practice that you know this is a different team. Bormeister can you know kick it through the back of the end zone. If you can do that and keep him from getting return yards, you know you cut his total yards in half automatically. Um, and then you have to. Uh, I talked with I believe it was Cameron Smith uh, after the game on Saturday. He said. We have to keep him in, in the tackles. If he gets outside the tackles, that's when he's trouble. So when he's running the ball, you got to attack from the outside in uh, and make sure he stays in, in between the tackles and wrap up and, and everyone gets to the ball. You know, do the, all the things that the cliches that defensive players say, you know, all 11 players running the ball, well, hat on a hat, blah, blah, blah. You got to <laughs> wrap up. You got to tackle the guy. Don't let him juke you out of your shoes because then you're going to be Elijah Juan Tucker and everybody remembers that play from last year. All right. Well, great stuff, Shotgun. Thanks again for coming on. We'll uh, we'll see you out there in a couple hours at practice. Sounds like fun. Hopefully, I can get some more sun on my face. Yes. Uh, <laughs> been doing that a lot. It'll be dark soon sometimes by the end of practice, so we don't like that. Um, all right. Shotgun Spratling. Follow him on Twitter at SpR. I'm Ryan Abraham. Follow me on Twitter at Inside Troy. Hope you guys enjoyed this edition of the Parastyle Podcast, and we will talk to you next time. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store.